All right, Desperation, you feeling good? If you love Jesus, say I do. Hey, I'm really excited about this session. Uh, all of us know that the challenge to be Christ followers in the culture can be challenging. And sometimes we're trying to apply the biblical scripture, what we're reading, and trying to live that out in our lives. And I thought that it'd be great to have some guys who have been doing this for a long time, have been leading people for a long time, speak into your life and talk about this even in a conversational way. So a lot of times we do monologue. Uh, This is a little bit different in that there's going to be some dialogue. And my hope is that you'll be able to engage with this and that this will actually start questions with your youth pastors and your friends, and you'll be able to just continue this dialogue. And so uh, each one of them are going to take just a few moments and they're going to share And then we're going to have a conversation. So we'll take the first half and they'll all share. And then at the end, we're going to talk up here. And our hope is is that it'll be engaging and really amazing for each one of you. All right. So uh, I want to introduce them. Uh, I know Kayla did. Uh, I want to do it my way here. Okay. So this is my friend Clint Sprague. And I love Clint very much. When... When I was 19 years old, Clint Spriggs asked me to come and speak at his youth group in Kansas City, and uh, we connected. He, he just adopted me, and I just love him dearly. He pastors Life Mission Church in Olathe, Kansas. And uh, so he's, he's brilliant, and he's, uh, he's an evangelist bar none. And so uh, phenomenal. He'll come in just a second. And then this is Lee Cummings. Lee Cummings is the pastor of... Radiant Church uh, in Richland, Michigan, uh, just right there in Kalamazoo area. And uh, Lee has jumped in like a big brother to me and spoken into my life. And I've gotten the privilege to go be there multiple times. We actually did Desperation there in 2008. And uh, just grateful for him and the wisdom that he has. He's always, uh, he's on, he's on my, my, my favorites on my iPhone where I call him and ask him anytime I need some wisdom. Uh, and I'm grateful for him. I want him to speak in. To your life, and then my pastor and friend, senior pastor of New Life Church, this is Pastor Brady Boyd. And Pastor Brady, uh, Pastor Brady came here in, in 2000, late 2007, and uh, honestly did all that he could just to breathe life into desperation. And I'm just so grateful for Brady. So let's, Jeez, that's weird. let's give Brady a hand. Could we do that? Yeah. I got the mic. Hey guys, how we doing? <clears throat> such an incredible honor to be with you guys. As David said, first of all, uh, it's such a privilege to be with everybody, and I'm so excited to be here. And uh, as David said, I pastor a Life Mission Church uh, in Olathe, Kansas. We've been there for 12 years, almost 13 years now. I've been in ministry for 25 years. Spent the first 13 years in youth ministry, and then I got a demotion, and now I'm a senior pastor. I really mean that. I love youth ministry. I love youth pastors. Everybody love your youth pastor. Are they a blessing or what? Um, And uh, just such an honor to be here. I've had the privilege of leading thousands of people to Christ. I really am an evangelist at heart. Uh, I've been married to my beautiful bride now for 27 years. She's been putting up with me. And, uh, And I've got six kids to show for it. Uh, my oldest is Kayla, who's here. Um, and then I have my daughter, Nicole, who's here. And my son, he's 14. His name is Levi. He's here. I got three at home. We adopted two from Ethiopia. You say, why the bio? I share that with you for this reason, because what I'm about to share with you 
will reveal the fact that it's a miracle that I'm standing here. The truth is this, even David, as he preaches on holiness all the time, I was raised in a very unholy home. I was raised in an environment where holiness was never known. As a matter of fact, if you had known me at 16, you would have never thought I'd be a candidate to be standing here preaching today. If you'd known me as a child, you would have assumed that I'd be a negative statistic because my, my parents were teenagers when I was born. Uh, my dad was an anti-establishment hippie, biker. I was raised in that culture. The sad truth is in the earliest days of my life, I was exposed to things that really no one should ever be exposed to, especially a child. I lost my innocence at a very early age. I was taken advantage of by people who were selfish and who were perverse. I saw things I should have never seen. As a, young, as a child, I, I learned how to roll a joint probably before I knew how to read. I could cut cocaine on a, on a mirror. I could tap a cake for you. Uh, and, and what happened is because of the pain that I experienced, physical abuse, sexual abuse, emotional pain, when I got into my teenage years, I was an arrogant, angry, violent young man. I'm not proud of who I was at all. And so you say, why are you talking about this in a session on holiness? That's what Dave asked us to come and talk about. Because I I really want to pose this question. Is it possible for somebody who's raised like me to be holy? What does it mean to be holy? And and I know Pastor Lee and Pastor uh, Brady are going to do an amazing job unpacking the definition of holiness and what it means and, and what it looks like. But as I look at my life, I would have never been a candidate to, to be holy or to live a holy lifestyle. And we know that, that it's because of the blood of Jesus that we can be holy. It's because of the finished work of Christ on the cross that our righteousness is found in Him. We all know that. We learned it. Maybe somewhere along the way you learned it in Sunday school. I had to learn it a little bit later in life. But the question isn't, can we be holy because of the work of Christ? The question is, can we live a holy lifestyle? And see, here's the problem. As a child, I saw things I should have never seen. I experienced things I should have never seen. And so as a teenager, I acted out on those things. And I experienced things I should have never experienced. And so when I heard the gospel for the first time, really literally for the first time as a 17-year-old kid, I had no biblical understanding. I had no base to build on what it means to know God. But I met some people who love God and knew God and they started talking to me about there is a God. He loves you and he has a plan for your life. And I bought into that and and I, and I was radically saved and I don't have time today to tell that story, but I want you to hear today that when I made a decision to follow Jesus, all of a sudden, all these rules and all these standards and all these things that we call holy lifestyles, they were foreign to me. And so I needed the grace of God to help me. I needed to know and not only how can I be saved, but how can I live a righteous lifestyle? How can I get to a place where my life will follow my faith? Where I won't dishonor my God and where I can be the man. My dad, I watched my dad. This is so sad to say, but I, I watched my dad as a philanderer in many relationships. I was right there. I saw things I should have never seen. And so when I came to faith... All I knew was an adulterous father. All I knew was a a, a rebellious lifestyle. So when I came to faith, I said, God, I want to follow you. But I had all this baggage. I had all these memories. I had all these experiences. And I said, God, I want to follow you. I want to pursue you. 
And I'm so grateful for the men that God put in my life in my first church I was ever a part of that mentored me, that were willing to ask me the hard questions, that were willing to speak the truth into my life. And I'm so grateful for the word of God. Because here's what I did, and I want you to hear this today, is that I was 17 when I came to faith. I'd been kicked out of school, but when I came to faith, I made a decision. I'm going all in with God. And so I, I began to make decisions that have set a course that put me where I am today. And has it been perfect? No. And have I made mistakes? Absolutely. But I want you to hear this today. I made some decisions as a young man, and you're making decisions today that will determine your future. One of the decisions that I made is I began to date God. See, the first few months I was a believer, I, all of a sudden some of the girls I went to school with, they, they were hitting on me. They were, uh, you know, man, you're not doing drugs anymore. Some of the girls who used to not want anything to do with me, now all of a sudden they did. And so I had to make some decisions. I began to date God. Every Friday night I would date God. People thought I was weird. i get my Bible. I had a big old Thompson Chain reference Bible. And back then we had these things called cassette tapes. You ever heard of those? And I had this cassette player, literally popped up. I get teaching tapes from my pastor. and I take my cassette tape player and my, my Thompson chain reference Bible and I would go on a date with God. And I begin to spend time in the word. And one of the first verses that really begin to reveal to me what it looks like to live a righteous lifestyle is Romans 12 two. It says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How many of you guys want to be a new person? Listen, this is how you get there. you got to let God change the way that you think. See, holiness is not something that happens out here first. It has to happen in here. Holiness is a condition of the heart. Holiness is a mindset. And it's a reckless abandon. That's why I love David Perkins. He's like my favorite preacher because he's all about devotion to the king and about a reckless abandonment. And when I hear him, I think to myself, I don't know that I'm there, but I know I want to be. Let me tell you, there's nothing wrong with being a wannabe. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be like David. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do that. So I made some choices early on. One more verse I want to give you, and i got to get out of these guys' way. Galatians 6 says, Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let me tell you something. You can't choose the way you're raised, but you can choose the way that you live. We don't have to be a product of our past. We don't have to be the results of the environment that we raised in. Seeds may be planted in us that want to produce fruit, but we can rip those roots out and we can begin to plant seeds of righteousness in our lives. I've been married to the same woman 27 years. She's the only one I've kissed except for my girls, my daughters. I come from a long line of alcoholics and drug addicts and and, and people that are a mess. And I just stand before you today and just wanted to declare this to you. Because listen, I, I know some of you feel maybe as dirty as I did. Perversion is so much more accessible to you today than it was for me. It's on your phone. It's on your computer. Your teachers are telling you to explore your sexuality. But I want you to know we can live holy. We can live righteous. We can let God change the way that we think. Let me say one more thing. No matter... What has been done to you? No matter what you've done, you can be holy, and this is why. Because the work of the Holy Spirit can repair, He can restore, He can make you whole. 
See, holiness is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit making us whole. Amen. Hello, Desperation. just want to honor this house and just honor Pastor Brady and David and everybody because we have incredible love for the desperation movement. And uh, I love that a local church and uh, a whole lot of my favorite people dedicate themselves to really speak to a generation that I believe God has marked out for incredible purposes. I don't think that's any accident that any of you or any of us are here this week. And uh, I'm honored to just be able to share just for a few minutes As was mentioned, I I pastor a church that I planted in 1996 called Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and uh, been married for 23 years. Tomorrow's our anniversary, so we're spending it at desperation, and uh, three awesome kids. Uh, that I'm so proud of, and uh, so it's a privilege to be with you. And when David and Dan and Amy and the whole team asked us to kind of be a part of this, really asked us to, to ask the Lord what would we want to just encourage a generation of young people with in just a few short minutes. And, you know, my story is that I, I had uh, a radical encounter with the Lord when I was 12 years old that changed the definition of everything for my life. And And when I think about that moment that changed my life and set the course and the pattern for the the rest of my life and what I poured my life into, it reminds me of the fact that we are in a battle and the battle that we're seeing and that we're a part of isn't necessarily the battles that you think are being waged. Those battles are sub-battles of a greater battle. There There is a battle and there is a contest that is taking place right now across our generation And it's not for territory that you can see with your naked eye. There is a battle that is going going on contesting for geographical territory. But it's not land in the Middle East. It's not the southern border of the United States. The most contested geographical location on the planet in the universe is your heart. That's right. You see, there is a battle that's going on over who's going to place their brand, who's going to plant their flag in the geography of your heart. Is it going to be the Lord Jesus Christ as sovereign, as king, as Lord of all? Or is it going to be the spirit of the age? And that's the real battle that's taking place. The greatest battle that's taking place is a battle for identity. You hear that word over and over on the news and social media. It's about identity. We ought to be able to define who we are. Uh, whether it's our sexual orientation or whether it's our gender or whether it's even our race or any of those types of things. And all of those are significant and, and very closely connected to our heart and their emotional hot topic issues. But let me tell you, identity has absolutely nothing to do with those things. And we are not the ones who were created to be able to determine our own identity. You were created to discover who you are as a child of God. That God is the only one who has the right in the universe to put his mark upon you and to define for you and for me who we really are. And there are two spirits that are at work in this age that desperately want to mark your heart as their territory. And you see, when I was 12 years old, I was in a small little Assembly of God church. It It was a Sunday night service. My grandparents dragged me to go to it. I didn't want to be there. 
Uh, there was 15 people. My Aunt Jeanette played the organ. My grandmother uh, played the piano. And her beehive haircut would just kind of quiver in the overhead projector screen when the Holy Spirit would move in church. And I was there, and there was about 15 people. And we're down in front at, at the altar praying in a circle. And in that moment... As a 12-year-old kid on a Sunday night, August 11, 1983, Jesus became real to me. And not only did he become real to me, he pulled back all of my insecurities. He pulled back all the, the factors and the statistics that the world had against me that said I, I should be a casualty. My dad left when I was nine months old. I was born to a 21-year-old single mother, lived in the inner city of Detroit, had all kinds of insecurities, had all, you know, as a shy kid, had all those things going on. But one moment when I heard Jesus speak my name changed everything for my life. And what it was is it was an identity moment. It was God saying, you're mine. You're mine. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 8, he was talking to the religious people of his day, and he said, you are of your father, the devil. It's interesting that the devil, just like God, wants to be a father and wants to define identity because that's the role of a father. is to affirm and it's to give identity. When the enemy gives you your identity, it says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he brings the identity that he wants to give you. He brings it out of his own resources. John chapter 8, verse 44 and 45 talks about when he speaks, he speaks out of lies and the lies are out of his own resources. When God speaks, he speaks out of truth. So if we live under the enemy's identity, we're going to live under a false identity that will steal, kill, and destroy us. When we live under God's identity, God pulls back the veil and says, I'll tell you who you are, who you've always been, because before you were ever a person, you were a purpose. I knew you before you were in your mother's womb and had a purpose for you and marked you out for his purposes. And so I, what I just want to leave you with this morning is this, is that in the middle of the firestorm of all kinds of distortions, distractions, and deceptions. If you will just tune those things out, if you will tune the voices of this age that are camouflaged and cool and image and trendy and all those other things, if you'll just tune all of that out and you will dig a deep well of personal equity in your relationship with God, if you'll, just, if you'll seek after him, you'll find him. And when you find him, you'll find life. And you won't just find the kind of life you're going to live on the other side of the grave in heaven, floating on clouds, playing harps. I'm not talking about that kind of life. The kind of life that you're going to find is the kind of life when the giver of life actually speaks to you. And when you ask the question, who am I? He says, you're mine. God says to you, you are his. He alone wants to plant the flag of ownership and lordship and fatherhood. He wants to open up the heavens over your life, just like he did over his own son, Jesus, and say, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That fueled Jesus into his purpose and into his mission by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times in a fatherless generation, the reason why we're not living more on purpose is because we're waiting for somebody to tell us who we are. And let me tell you, in a void where we haven't heard God tell us who we are, the enemy will always provide a label for you. But if we'll drown all that out and say, I'm going to avoid the camouflage of distractions, distortions, and deceptions, and say, Lord, who am I? I, I promise you, God knows who you are. And in him, he has purposes, 
He calls you his masterpiece. It doesn't matter who, who has put their label on you up until this moment in your life. God is the master of peeling off old labels and giving you a brand new identity, one that can never be stolen from you. It was true in my life. It can be true in your life. And I just want to encourage you, if you'll dig a deep well, if you'll go after God, if you'll seek him with all of your heart, you will find out who you are. And in finding that, you will find the life you were always meant to live. All right. Those are good words. I, we really didn't talk a lot about what we were going to say before we came up. We just asked the Holy Spirit to speak because the question we're trying to help you answer today is, what does it mean to follow Jesus in 2015? But what is it going to mean to follow Jesus in 2025, 2035? And I love Pastor Clint. He talked about purity and holiness, that it's possible to be set apart and holy, a devoted follower of Jesus right now in a culture that's very perverse, perverted. It gives us false impressions of pleasure. I love what Pastor Lee said, that, that our identity has never been more important, that Jesus is the source of our identity. So we've talked about purity, holiness, we've talked about identity. But I want to talk to you about something that's going to be super critical for you in the next 20 years, and that's about what you believe. And right now, we're living in a world that is teaching us more about syncretism than good theology. I want you to all say it's a big word, but I want you to say it out loud with me. Syncretism. Say it's syncretism. It's a big word that you need to know what it means, though. And right now, the world tells you that you can take a little bit of Jesus, you can take a little bit of Justin Bieber, you can take a little bit of this, and you can take a little bit of everything and kind of come up with your own system of beliefs. You can kind of believe whatever you want. That's what the world is telling you right now. My kids are, have a 14-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old son. They'll both be in high school next year, and the world is telling them that they can believe whatever they want. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we're not given that, we're given a much higher calling than that. As believers in Jesus... We've been given a, a way of believing that's different than the way the world believes. About 1,800 years ago, the early church fathers came up with this document called the Nicene Creed. It's our statement of faith here at New Life, and you'll see it on the wall. It's out on the wall right there. It's, it's all over the wall there. Down the hallway, there's the Nicene Creed. If you go in the World Prayer Center, the Nicene Creed is on a giant wall there. It's painted on the wall. Why, why, do, we, why do we quote an 1,800-year-old document. Why is that important for us? Because right now, it's never been more important for the church to know what they believe to be true, what they know to be true. And we're not the first generation that's had to wrestle with these ideas. We're not the first generation that's had our beliefs questioned. We're not the first generation that's had to wrestle with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you even have ever heard of the Nicene Creed. But in the next 10 years, everything that we're about to quote is going to be challenged. And if you don't know what you believe, you'll believe anything. The world says, believe whatever you want. Jesus says, no, there are things that we have to know is true. We have to believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If your faith is going to remain steady, if you're going to stand here with me 20 years from now, still proclaiming Christ, let me tell you, you're going to have to pay a price for it that I've not had to pay. Your generation will be the first generation in American history where Christianity is no longer the majority. You have now become the minority. You don't have the... Uh, it's not going to be possible for you to stand for Jesus and to be popular in the culture. 
For the first time in American history, your generation will be the minority. You'll stand apart. For the first time in American history, you'll pay a price for what you believe that I didn't have to pay. My kids will have to decide on their own whether they believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. They'll have to stand on their own and believe is marriage between a man and a woman. They'll have to know what is true about the scriptures. They'll have to pay a price for believing in Jesus that other people around the world have been paying already. Just a few months ago, a group of young men, they were poor immigrants, migrants. They were living in Egypt. They were Coptic Christians. But they found themselves in a foreign country trying to find work to support their families. And a group of ISIS terrorists found them working. They were just doing odd jobs. They were trying to put together money to send back to Egypt to support their families. But they were followers of Jesus. And a group of ISIS terrorists found them. And they didn't ask them how old the earth was. They didn't ask them why dinosaurs weren't in the Bible. They weren't asking all some of the silly questions that we're asking right now. No, the question they were asked was this. Are you a follower of Jesus? Do you believe in the way of the cross? And when they said, yes, we are followers of Jesus, we are, we are following the way of the cross. That's when they were marched out to the banks of the Mediterranean and they were made to kneel down on their knees and their heads were cut off and it was videoed and broadcast all over the world. Listen, people all over the world are paying a price for following Jesus. You know what my great concern is for the next 20 years? Is that we don't know what it means to really follow Jesus, to pay the price for following Jesus. Our generation, my generation, didn't have to pay the price that you're going to have to pay. And you better know what you believe. You better know why it is true. Because the world's going to tell you that anything is true. You can believe anything you want. Take a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But if we're going to stand and follow Jesus, it's going to cost us everything in the days ahead. We'll all have to pay a price. We will be the minority in America. Brushed off to the side. We'll be called bigots and haters. We'll be called narrow-minded. But Jesus told us, in this world, you will have trouble. But he also said this, take heart. Take heart, my followers. Take heart, those who follow me, for I have overcome the world. And so I want you to stand with me this morning, and we're going to, uh, we're going to read the creed together. Maybe you've never heard of this. Stand up with me for a moment. This document was written because people were teaching false, false teachings. And the early church fathers said, we have to teach our people what is true. What, what are the absolutes of our faith? So it's not just a confession. It's, it was meant to be read as a prayer. And so this prayer called the Nicene Creed talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the kingdom that is to come. And I love that it starts off with, we believe in. In other words, it's not, I know that, but it says, we believe in. And it was meant to be prayed together as a community of believers. It was meant to be all of us coming together in a room like this and declaring unashamedly, this is what we believe. This is what we're willing to die for. This is what we know to be true about our faith. It was meant to be confessed and prayed. and It was meant to be a prophetic declaration. It was meant to come bring us all together. It was meant to help us put aside our petty disagreements about things and to focus on the main things, to focus on what was really important for our culture, for our beliefs. 
And so this morning, I want you to read it out with me, and I want you to read it as a prayer, as a confession, as a profession, as a prophetic declaration for what you know to be true about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Would you read it out loud with me as a prayer this morning? Would you do that with me? Let's pray pray together. This is the Nicene Creed written 1,800 years ago, but it's something we better know to be true today or we'll fall away. We'll be pushed aside. But I believe today God's calling out a generation who will declare what we know to be true. Okay, will you do this with me? Let's say it out loud together. We believe in one God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven And by the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And say it out loud with me. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And if you believe all of that to be true, say it out loud with me. Amen. 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 Are you encouraged? You feel good? All right. These uh, sages have pearls of wisdom dripping from their... Mouths. All right, here's what I want us to do. I'm going to ask a couple questions and uh, continue dialogue here. I want to start with something. Lee, when you talked about 12, big shift in your life, went for God starting at 12. We got a lot of 12-year-olds in the room, a lot of young people. Other, not communicating, uh, I want you to be specific. Like, what, what are some of the things you did as a teenager that meant that personified pursuing God with strength. You know, talk about some of the, just some of the, the ways that you said no to some things to say yes to others. What, what does that look like for a 12-year-old to say, all right, I'm turning around? Uh, at 12 years old, it's a lot like climbing a mountain. You're going to fall down a whole bunch of times, but you just keep getting back up and climbing. And, uh, you know, to give the image of it as a 12-year-old kid, all of a sudden, you know, I know Jesus and I've got it all together and I was a saint walking through my teen years, that's inaccurate. And I don't know of anybody who does that. But the trajectory of my heart was so drawn to Jesus and so drawn to God and uh, his joy and his love in my life that kind of practically how that turned out, I I think some of the major things that throughout my teen years that I did, number one is uh, I spent a lot of time reading the Bible. 
uh, you know, it seems like, wow, that's pretty boring. But I was fascinated and, you know, I saved all my birthday money, went and bought like the biggest black King James 50 pound heathen choker study Bible I could find. (laughs) And, uh, and you know, my mom was not really fully engaged in her faith at that time. So she was concerned because I was spending a lot of time. Uh, you mentioned worship tapes, Hosanna integrity, worship tapes, Kent Henry, busting it out, praising the Lord, reading my Bible. And my mom like was like, don't you want to go do something? And, you know, do you need a counselor? And uh, she thought something was wrong on the inside of me, but actually I was just, I was just, I wanted to grow and I wanted to, you know, stay. So I, I developed a routine of, of praying. I had a Larry Lee, could you not pray, Terry one hour prayer thing that I went through, failed more times than I succeeded. But, uh, you know, I was praying, trying to pray an hour a day. I was reading scripture. Uh, I got plugged into an, a, an awesome youth ministry. And my youth pastor became like my hero. And uh, the biggest part of that was what he poured into us was the importance of, of doing those things, of praying, of, of being plugged into relationship. I was in a small group. And, uh, you know, I can't remember a whole lot of the sermon messages that my pastor preached throughout my teen years. I know they were awesome. Uh, but I do remember pivotal moments that took place in, uh, we called them fellowship groups on Sunday nights where we get together and pray for one another. If people are sick, let's pray for healing and, you know, studying the scriptures together and going on missions trips together. Those things were pivotal. And it was those relationships that I had with probably five or six other guys and a couple, you know, girls that we were all in this together, kind of at the same place in life. And even to this point, there's like four or five of us who are all in full-time ministry. We all still stay connected, but it was that kind of band of brothers going through my teen years where we sharpened one another and uh, we're every Sunday night together in youth, reading our Bibles, just practical things that by themselves don't seem like they're going to make any massive shift, but you do them long enough and enough times and it, it forms your heart and it changes the trajectory of your life. Good. All right. Um, Clint, I want to talk about the, the purity thing. So you made this transition, life of immorality say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus, that purity choice, I mean, purity, purity comes with that, and you had all the baggage from the past, and your date with Jesus is brilliant. How, how did you, um, how did you, you, I mean, you married Mary, it's incredible. I'm married woman. up, yeah. <laughs> you married up. <laughs> Tell us, I'm thinking about the young man out here who's yeah. thinking, okay, you, that story, that's me right now, how do I, and, I, and I said yes to Jesus this week, yeah. I, but I, that whole process of walking into purity and, and, and a right relationship, should I wait? Should I go write Song of Solomon notes to a Christian girl? Like, what do I do? You know, Let like, me answer that. No, <laughs> do not. Don't write them to my daughter. By the way. All right. Um, I, I think, uh, well, I, I was 17 when I came to the faith. My, all my friends were still in high school. I've been kicked out of that high school, so I could only show up at football games. And um, but uh, I had to really cut. Uh, I, I came to the Lord out of state, and then I moved back home. I had no Christian friends. As a matter of fact, I spent the first three months looking for a church. The way I found my church is uh, a friend of mine that I used to party with was dropping an engine in his car. And I was trying to tell him about the Lord through the top of the car. He's down the bottom. He goes, dude, you remind me just like the guy up the street. He's always talking about the Jesus stuff. I was like, where is he? And I ended up in his church, ended up in this guy's uh, home group. And so number one key is I got around a men of God who were who I wanted to become. 
Uh, you got, I'd never had a father in my life. The only father figures I had growing up were coaches. I was always into sports. That was kind of the one outlet that maybe could have saved me, but I didn't make it. And then drug dealers and partiers and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, getting around men of God was huge. And I joke all the time. I was in church every time the doors were open. I was weird, man. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, prayer meetings. I went to the senior saints luncheon. I mean, I was there. Uh, <laughs> Um, you know, I, I, because I was hungry and I was making up for lost time. Uh, but the other thing that happened to me was that all my friends were in school. And so those parties were going on and, part, you know, football game, all those things happening. And so I went to some of those things and stumbled. And, uh, like I said, I had people hitting on me and, you know, all these different things happening. And so I didn't trust myself. Okay. And so I, to me, uh, you can't walk on the ledge. If you walk on the ledge, you're going to fall off. So one of the statements that I say all the time to young people is when in doubt, leave it out. Uh, so I just back up off the ledge. I'm not going to flirt with the ledge. I'm not going to play with that. So I set standards that maybe some people would have thought were too much. Uh, and that was the Friday night thing. The Friday night date happened because I went out with some of my Catholic girl friends that I'd grown up with and friends that were jocks that weren't my druggy friends. And I thought, well, maybe this, these are the cleanest friends I had growing up. I'll hang out with them. And I ended up at a, you've been in these situations. I was at somebody's house. Parents are out of town. Four guys, four girls, right? And the fourth girl was hitting on me and making cookies, and I'm freaking out. And, uh, and, and man, I knew where we were going because all three other couples disappeared, right? And uh, I, she starts hitting on me and all this kind of stuff. And I remembered the verse, flee youthful lusts, okay? And so I literally got up and ran out of the house, right? I can preach that a lot better, but anyway. You have all these stories about girls hitting on you. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, never, I can't, can't relate. I, right, you can't ahead. relate to that. I'm sorry. Um, uh, it's good, yeah. Um, so I got home that night and I made a decision, Jesus, I'm going to date you. And that's how I started doing that. Um, but it, well, it does go back to men. It goes back to the word of God. I want to, I want to share a verse. This is, it's in Colossians 3. It says, if then you've been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and on the earth. That was a verse that uh, uh, Colossians 3, 2 was a verse that I just embedded in my heart right out of the gate as a believer. And, and, and the reality is we all know what it means. You set your apps, you set your phone, you, you know how to set. We all are the, listen, we are the administrator that has authority over our hearts, over our minds. Okay. The scripture says in Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart for from it flow the wellsprings of life. So we decide we're the landlord of our own hearts. We decide what lives there and what gets evicted. I grew up in rental homes my whole life, apartments, and I knew what a landlord was. And we are the landlord of our own heart. And so we've got to make that determination. So you set your mind on, on things. And so we're all pursuing something. I spent teenage years pursuing drugs and sex. And when I became a believer, I said, I'm going to pursue something else. And uh, I, I want to say this, and it, it, I don't have time to preach it all, but, you know, I, I wrote this down. I wanted to say this. Holiness is not about earning God's approval. It's not about earning God's love. It's not about achieving. It's about responding to his extravagant love that he's already shut out for us. Amen. It's, uh, holiness is a response of gratitude. When we're grateful for what God has done, we don't want to, we don't want to break his heart. We don't want to shame his name and we want to be close to him. And listen, sin separates us from God. So holiness is a part of recklessly pursuing relationship with the living God. 
So good. Come on, let's clap for that right there. Real good. Okay, Brady. These guys only got one question. I got two for you, though. All right, because you're the, the papa bear around here. Two questions. All right. First off, when you said um, this will be a first or this will be a generation where you 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 can't be popular, like that love for popularity and following Jesus, those are gonna those are gonna rub. Um, my first question is. Truth be told, most in this culture, we, we're growing up with Instagram, Twitter. We, we would love to say, oh, we don't care. We don't want to be popular. But it's, it's, a, it's messy. It's really deep. Help us. How do we die to that? How, how, does, that, how does that change? Like, how do, we, how, how do we slowly or quickly walk away from that? That's, that's one question. So my second question is this. That conviction. You, you talked about having these convictions. Read the Nicene Creed. You're a reader. You've got convictions. You've got things you believe. I mean, you got, and, and so you're not, you're not making, you know, changing all the time. You, you believe things. How do I develop conviction like that? Well, first of all, the most popular teachers are not always the most trusted teachers. And just because they're popular doesn't mean they're right. And I think uh, what I'm, I'm praying over my kids is a spirit of discernment. And just because it's shiny doesn't mean it's gold. And I think this is a, the big problem I have right now with a lot of people who are calling themselves pastors and teachers. Uh, they're more of spiritual celebrities. And Jesus, uh, Jesus was okay with being hidden away. I mean, the first thing Jesus did after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he went away into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights by himself. And I, I think this is the problem we have right now in our culture. And I know it's a problem for me. It's a problem for my family is learning how to find God in hidden places, being alone with God, being away from the crowds, being away from the noise. This is where we find out what God's about. And, and what I'm asking is don't be afraid of silence. Don't be afraid of quiet. Don't be afraid of, of having a day off. Be, don't be afraid of the Sabbath. Don't be afraid of, of drawing away to being alone with God by yourself, turning your phone off, leaving your phone at home, going on a, a, an hour walk without your phone. And, uh, I mean, we're just buried in our phones right now. We're buried in our digital devices right now. And I, I, have, I, I, suspect, I suspect for myself and I suspect for my family that we are more in tune with the alert tones of our iPhones than we are with the voice of the Holy Spirit. And God is asking us to listen for his voice. And sometimes we have to put aside these things in order to hear the right voice, to hear the right things. By the way, I just got a text. I was, gonna, yeah. I was just going to okay, tweet yeah. did, that. Did you just text at me? Okay, thank you. But uh, listen. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. What are you, what are you listening for? You will hear what you're listening for. Whatever you're listening for, you're going to hear. If I'm listening for truth, if I'm listening for the still, small voice of God, that's what I'm going to hear. If I'm listening for the approval and the appraise of man and the crowd and the people, if I'm looking for likes on Instagram more than I am for the, the witness of the Holy Spirit, that's what I'm going to look for. What I'm, I'm going to tune my ears to hear what my heart desires, and I desire to hear God's voice more than any other thing. So therefore, all the other stuff is just ambient noise. But I'm listening for the voice of God. It's priority for me, number one every day, is to hear God's voice. And the way I know I've discipled my children, the way I know if I've discipled my congregation is if I have taught them to hear the voice of God and not any other thing. That is primary for all of us to hear God's voice. And the rest of it will take care of itself, quite honestly, if we learn to hear God's voice. David, can I jump in on that yeah. real quick? 
a lot of that's tied in with our identity. You know, I was talking about identity, yeah. but it's such a big thing. It's like if, if, you, if your identity is dependent upon what other people think of you, then you'll be swayed. And we all, to a certain degree, have that. But if we could ever get this glimpse of, if, if we're living for just this life, then yeah, you know, all the social media stuff and what other people think of us, are we popular or whatever, those things matter to us. And they should matter to a certain degree. But if we could ever get this eternal perspective, it's like when all of this dissipates and when nobody else remembers us, when I'm no longer the pastor of a church, when I'm just Lee Cummings, someday when I stand before Jesus, Jesus is not an idea. Jesus is not some historical figment of our religious imagination. Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. And there's going to come a day where I'm going to look into his eyes. And on that day, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. And so if we live every day for that, it gives us the ability, it, it gives us the ability to live holy. And here's how I define holiness. Holiness is protecting what's sacred. And if Jesus is sacred to me, if my body is sacred, if my mind is sacred, if my habits are sacred, then I'm going to protect that. Holiness means to be set apart. And so when I set these things apart because they belong to somebody else or to a different age or to a, a different kingdom, that's holiness. It's not how long your hair is or whether you got a tattoo or any of those kinds of things. Those are external. It's about, it's about protecting what's sacred in your life. Whew. All right, let's give it up for these guys. I'd like us just to conclude this session. Uh, I'm going to have them pray. I want to encourage you guys, though. These are three guys that uh, you should totally trust and find them, their podcasts, and listen. Just, just fill, One of you talked about, I think Lee talked about, just filling his mind with tapes as a 12-year-old. And uh, I, if you're 15, 17, I mean, everything's free right now. Get, just listen to hours and hours and hours. And these things that just roll. Are you kind of amazed? How you, like I'm spontaneously asking this. Pastor Brady made clear we didn't plan this. I'm just, I'm just asking them these questions. And they just have these answers just quick right there on their tongue, right? Because they've meditated on it. They've thought about it. They've prayed about it. And I want to encourage you to take time just downloading all of that. Literally downloading it. Listening to it. These are three guys that you can trust. And um, they're not just shiny. They're the real deal, all right? And so I want to encourage... That's your phrase. Real deal. I learned that from you. All right. Real, the full meal deal. That's another one. All right. Anyway, um, so, so uh, Life Mission Church in Kansas City, Radiant Church in Kalamazoo, Richland, and New Life Church in Colorado Springs, okay? I want them to... Uh, yeah. Yeah, you can, pro- you can clap for their podcast. That's cool. All right. Uh, we're going to close here. I want to invite them. I just... I want them just to just to pray over us, just, just pray a, a, a brief prayer real quick, what you spoke over us, and Brady, your prayer will be the closing of the session, okay? Father God, I thank you for these people that are here. I thank you so much.